Good morning and happy Sabbath. Our scripture reading for today is Luke 1, 38 to 45. I will be reading from the New International Version. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, in a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed the child Blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. May the Lord add a rich blessing to the reading of his word. Amen. Amen. I'm so thankful that God sent his son Jesus, aren't you? So thankful that he did not leave us alone, left to ourselves, but entered into our mess and our dirt and became one of us, taking on our infirmities. And for that reason, we have an elder brother in heaven. Jesus will forever retain that part of his human nature. And I'm thankful for this season that we can think about the birth of Jesus. Our message is entitled today, My Heart, His Bethlehem. I invite you to bow your heads with me as we begin. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we humbly come before you. We are thanking you for so much that has happened this morning, Lord. We have been drawn to you through the music, the stories, the songs. And Father, it is our desire as we open up these sacred pages of Scripture that the Spirit of the living God would fall afresh on us. We ask that the author of Scripture, you, Lord, would interpret scripture and would bring scripture home to our hearts in a way that human wisdom cannot accomplish. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus, amen. I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Luke. Luke chapter one will be beginning in verse 26. Luke chapter one, verse 26. The Bible reads, now in the sixth month, the angel who everyone... Gabriel, we recognize that name Gabriel. The angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Some 600 years prior to this moment, 600 years before this moment, the same messenger, the same angel, Gabriel himself, had visited someone else. And who was that, church family? 
the prophet Daniel. 600 years prior to this moment, angel Gabriel had been sent from heaven to the prophet Daniel with a special message. Know therefore and understand, Gabriel had spoken, that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be, and he gave a time period. In heaven's counsel, the hour for Christ's appearance had been determined ahead of time. God is always on time. And here when Gabriel shows up, the reader's mind would be connected to the prophecy in the book of Daniel. And now that prophecy met its fulfillment. Paul tells us in the book of Galatians, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. When the fullness of time had come, Paul tells us, God sent forth his son. God's timing is always perfect. And when Jesus came to planet earth, the earth was in the best conditions for a redeemer. As Mrs. White says, the world was ripe for the coming deliverer. And and if you read the Desire of Ages, she notes several reasons why the world was ripe. Number one, there was much spiritual darkness. The deception of sin had reached its height. And the Son of God looking upon the world only saw suffering and misery. It was a dark place on planet earth, but the light was coming to bring light into the darkness. God's timing is perfect. People were longing for something more. They were tired of the, uh, the systems of heathenism, as Desire of Ages tells us. It was losing their hold. People were weary of the way that religious leaders kept on saying the same things, and they were longing for something different. They wanted something from the heart. They were thirsting for a knowledge of the living God. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. And lastly, the tiding of the Messiah's coming was easily spreadable. When you look at the way that Israel was set up, God designed that from all the lands, the Jews of the dispersion could gather to Jerusalem for the annual feast, and as they, replur- as they return to their places where they live, they could spread the good news. Gabriel came at the perfect time. But as verse 26 tells us, he wasn't sent to a palace, he wasn't sent to the sanctuary, he was sent to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Galilee was, not a, a Galilee was not a respected region. You remember what Nathaniel told to Philip? You remember that? He told him, what, what good could come out of Nazareth? Nazareth was a Galilean village about 15 miles west of the Sea of Galilee, and it was hardly the expected place for an important message from God. But isn't it true, friends, that God often does the unexpected? God often works in ways that are very different than what we think. If we were in charge, we would have gotten out the trumpets. We would have brought out the harps. We would have spread the news far and wide. The king is here. But although God used his means and his ways, humans were not aware of his coming. God can, wi- can use anyone who's willing to be used. And aren't you thankful, friends, that the person that God chooses does not have to have a big name in the earth's eyes? 
What makes someone available for God, what makes uh, someone uh, that God wants to choose is simply the fact that they are humbly depending upon him. And God does just that. He decides to use a young girl named Mary. Verse 27 tells us that she was a a virgin named Mary. He emphasizes that that Mary was a, a virgin probably in her early teen years. She was young. At the time when Jewish girls would normally have been pledged to be married, but in Israel, engagement was as binding as marriage. In fact, it would require a divorce to break off the engagement. So the timing of Jesus' conception after the engagement but before marriage was the perfect timing. If it had been after they had been married, it would be very easy for Joseph and Mary to say, this was our baby. If it was before the engagement, it would have been easy for Joseph to try to break things off. He tried to do that. But Gabriel came at the perfect time. God wanted to make sure that Mary and Joseph knew this baby was from God. It wasn't from Mary, it wasn't from Joseph. This baby was from God. In verse 28, the Bible says, Having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Gabriel's greeting to, to Mary you are favored, literally means in the Greek, the one who grace has been bestowed. Highly favored one, the one that grace has been bestowed. Down in verse 29, after Mary was troubled from these words, Gabriel repeats the same thing. She had found grace before God. Now unfortunately, the same verse and phrase has been used to incorrectly support the concept that Mary was granted a special grace throughout her life, allowing for the Roman Catholic doctrine of the Immaculate Conception. This doctrine unfortunately states that Mary was born without original sin. She didn't have a corrupt nature allowing her to be the mother of God. And in that view, Mary could not just have grace, she could give grace and forgiveness. That's the purpose of Ava Maria prayer, Hail Mary used by many. But friends, I want to tell you something, that Jesus was not God because of Mary. Jesus was God because of God. Mary didn't make Jesus holy. God did. And Mary was blessed by being chosen to birth the Son of God, but Jesus was divine before he was conceived. In fact, Mary needed to come to the Father, just like everyone else. John 14, 6 says that no one comes to the Father except through Christ. And if you read later on in the Song of Mary, you you find there in verse 46 that she rejoices in God her Savior. If she had been perfect without original sin, she wouldn't need a Savior, but even Mary needed a Savior. In fact, the word used here to describe Mary, highly favored one, is not unique to Mary. Mary's experience can be your experience and my experience. I invite you to turn with me to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter one, because we find that Paul uses this exact same word that God, through the angel Gabriel, tells Mary. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter one. In Ephesians chapter one, Verses three through six, we, we, we find something interesting. 
And first of all, notice verse 6. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 6, the Bible says, To the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he has made us, what does your Bible say? Accepted in themselves. Is that what it says? Accepted in the beloved. Now that word accepted is the same Greek tense and the same word that is used in the book of Luke. And it's the only other time in Scripture that that word is used. And here Paul tells us that we can be chosen and filled with grace just like Mary through Christ. Our experience can be the same as Mary's. Mary's experience can be ours. And in fact, if you look there at verse 3 through 6, there's several connections between what Paul says and what God said to Mary. Notice verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In fact, if you uh, read uh, uh, what God through the angel Gabriel said to Mary, he said, blessed are you among women. Uh, Elizabeth said the same thing. But we can be blessed through Christ as well. Through Christ, God can give us blessings. Notice verse four. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. God chose Mary to be blameless, to carry the Son of God, and God chooses us to be blameless before him as well. Mary's experience can be ours. Continuing on, if you look there in verse 10, it says that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, you recognize that language, Christ might gather together in one all things in Christ. In the fullness of time, God chose Mary, and in the fullness of time, God is choosing us in these last days to share his message. And finally, notice there in verse 11, it says, in Christ we have obtained an inheritance. In fact, over and over through verse three and through verse 11, Paul continues to bring up this theme in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Friends, through Jesus, we are chosen. We can be blessed. We can have the grace from God bestowed upon us through Christ. Friends, Mary wasn't any more special. Yes, she was chosen. Yes, she was faithful to God. Did God choose her for a reason? Absolutely. And we need to study her life. But her experience can be ours. Let's go back to the book of Luke now. Luke, let's continue in our story Luke chapter 1, and notice verse 29. Luke chapter 1, verse 29. The Bible says, When she saw the angel, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. If you were a young teenager and a bright angel showed up, would you be troubled? Of course. Considering that, that Mary was living in the backwoods, so to speak, the backwaters of Israel, Galilee and, and Nazareth were, were a, a podunk town, off the beaten path. And here is this young girl who was faithful to God and an angel shows up to her. She had never had experience like this in her life. And she is understandably a bit bewildered. But even more is perplexing is the message that the angel is about to give. Notice verse 30, the angel said to Mary, Mary, don't be afraid. Aren't you thankful that God always sends that greetings when angels show up? Don't be afraid. For you have found favor with God. 
And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and his name shall be called Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Gabriel here recalls the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, 6, and 7, that the increase of the Messiah's government, there will be no more end. A Jewish person's mind would have gone to Psalms 145, verse 13, that God's going to set up an everlasting kingdom. We find in the book of, of, of Daniel, after the dream that Nebuchadnezzar has, that Jesus' rock will fill the entire earth, will become a mountain, and his kingdom will never be destroyed, the book of Daniel tells us. Later on, when Daniel has visions in Daniel 7.14, we find that God's kingdom will not pass away. Micah 4.7 tells us that his kingdom will endure forever, even forever. Jesus introduced that everlasting kingdom, friends. This is an important announcement. Mary would have recognized that there was something big happening here. I'm so thankful, friends, that when the kingdoms of earth, although they appear from a human perspective to arise majestically, they appear to arise beautifully and they appear that they will last forever. But friends, the Bible tells us that they will fade away like houses of ice under the summer sun. God's kingdom is gonna last forever, but man's kingdom will not. And Jesus is the head of that kingdom. Verse 34, let's continue. Verse 34, Mary said to this angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? Mary is speaking here not necessarily from a place of, of, of doubting. If you read the context, clearly Mary believed the angel's announcement. She isn't doubting what the angel is saying or even asking for a sign to confirm. She believes, but in simple faith she's asking, how will this miracle take place? She wasn't even married yet. It was a big deal what the angel was, was saying that she was going to have a baby before she got married. She was about to experience, if this plan went through, ridicule and scorn from her family and friends. When Joseph found out, Matthew 1.19 says that he tried to put her away secretly. He didn't want Mary to suffer embarrassment. Joseph knew what Jewish society thought of women that had babies out of wedlock. You remember John chapter 8 where they were stoning the woman caught in adultery. Mary is simply asking here, how is this going to happen? And God allowed Mary to become fully conscious of the fact that this anticipated event was beyond human power. That it was impossible from a man's point of view. Then he'll Tell her how it will take place. Verse 35, let's continue. The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. 
Therefore also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Verse 36. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has conceived a son in her old age. God can do the impossible. He can give a baby boy to those that are older, to those that are young. God can do the impossible. And now it is the sixth month for who who is called barren. Verse 37, for with God, nothing will be impossible. Gabriel explains in answer to Mary's question how this would take place, that it was through the work of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit, and here the angel Gabriel uses an interesting word. He uses the word overshadow. Do you see that word there, friends? Overshadow. That's an interesting choice of words. And an Israelite, might I suggest, would recognize that that word overshadow is sanctuary language. The word overshadow is used to describe how God manifested himself in the sanctuary. Exodus chapter 40, verse 35, the Bible says, And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it. If you look at the Greek Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament Bible, that same word overshadow is used. And here, the Bible's saying is that God's presence would overshadow the sanctuary and the glory of God filled the tabernacle. Remember the cloud that led the Israelites by day. Do you remember that? That was the Holy Spirit overshadowing the Israelites, leading them forward. That was God's presence. In a similar way, the divine cloud would later descend on and overshadow Jesus. Luke uses the same word, Luke 9.34. While Jesus was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were fearful as they entered the cloud. So the glorious mystery of the incarnation is that the infinite, glorious God of the universe would enter in a mere human vessel, that his Shekinah glory would come inside of a human being, friends. Incredible thought to use this sanctuary language here. That this baby was holy, friends. This was the holy son of God. Notice now Mary's response. And this is an incredible response in Luke chapter 1, verse 38. Despite the obvious stigma that she would suffer as a result despite the fact that she would be looked down upon, despite the fact that with men this was impossible, despite the fact that Mary is so young, notice Mary's words in Luke chapter one and verse 38. The Bible says, then Mary said, behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your words. That's a powerful statement from a young teenage girl who has just experienced something supernatural, overwhelming, bewildering, and she simply trusts in God's word to her, let it be according to your word. Her response reveals her character. She was being asked to bear a child as a virgin without being married, but Mary knows that she is God's servant, and she will allow God to work through her as he wills. God can place Mary in whatever difficult circumstance he wants because he is God. 
Mary's response contrasts with that of Zechariah. Zechariah needed a sign. Zechariah doubted the angel's words. When God spoke to Zechariah and gave him his message, Zechariah didn't believe right away. But here, Mary does. And God had told Mary that her cousin Elizabeth was going to have a baby. And as the first sign that Mary was going to obey implicitly what God told her, we find in verse 39 uh, that Mary obeyed what God said. Look at there in verse 39. Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country very slowly. Is that what it says? With haste. She quickly gets up to obey the word of God to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zechariah. Notice, friends, that she's not going to discover whether the angel, what he said was true or not. She's going because she believed what the angel said was true. Verse 40, she entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, here's Elizabeth talking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, blessed are you among women. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? What a humbling thing to say. This young girl, her young relative, Elizabeth recognized that the little baby that was in the process of being born and Mary was something special. This was the Son of God. Verse 44, for indeed, As soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Those that are parents, do you remember speaking to your children when they were in the womb? I remember my son Judah when he was still in the womb. You know, as a new young dad, I was excited. And I knew what you know that babies can hear their parents' voices inside the womb, can't they? There's a lot of research that has been done about prenatal influences. And I remember the song that I sang to Judah over and over again. Create in me a clean heart, O God, over and over. Probably sang that song more than 100 times to Judah. And I believe that Judah's little prenatal ears heard those words. And isn't it amazing here that the baby with inside Elizabeth, John the Baptist, starts his work early of preparing the way of the Lord. And Elizabeth seems to recognize the movement of her baby inside of her. That, that's John the Baptist getting excited. And then notice what Elizabeth says in verse 45. Notice what she says in verse 45. Blessed is she. This is Elizabeth talking about Mary. Mary, blessed are you who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. Elizabeth seems to contrast Mary's response with that of her husband. Zechariah doubted. He didn't believe. He wanted a sign that this would take place. But Mary believed. And aren't you thankful, friends, that even though Zechariah doubted, God still used him. God can use us in our doubting moments. God gave him a second chance, and I'm thankful for that. Mary wasn't perfect. She wasn't a saint. But I believe, friends, 
that what Paul tells us about people in Scripture and stories of Scripture is true for Mary. Paul says whatever things were written before were written for our what? Our learning that through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, we might have hope. I believe that we can learn something from Mary, and I want to offer us three lessons that we can learn, three principles from the life of Mary, because Mary's experience can be ours. We don't honor her as a saint, but we can learn from her as a person of faithfulness to God, can't we, friends? Number one, Mary cherished what God told her. Luke chapter two, verse 19. After the shepherds are coming and the wise men are coming, Verse 19 says, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Mary cherished what God told her. And I believe, friends, that God wants us to cherish his words. God wants us to cherish what God tells us. And friends, might I suggest that we have a lot more words from God than even Mary did. We might think to ourselves, well, God didn't show up to me in the way that he showed up to Mary with a miraculous way with an angel, but God showed up in a more magnificent way because we have, friends, the holy word of God. We have the pages of scripture, and from cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation, we have beautiful words of God, and God's desire for us is to cherish these words, friends. Notice Psalm chapter one, verse two. The psalmist says his delight is in the law of the Lord. And if you continue in that chapter, you find that the person whose delight is in the law of the Lord shall be like a tree planted by streams of water. So if we want to be rooted in these last days, God wants us to delight and cherish the word of God. In Psalms 145, and it actually should be Psalms 119, But it says, I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your words. Over and over we find the psalmist saying things like, I will delight myself in your words. Our daughter's name is Eden. And whenever someone says, oh, what's your kid's name? Judah, Levi, and Eden. We always throw in like the Garden of Eden because sometimes people haven't heard that name before. Eden like the Garden of Eden. And Eden's name means pleasure. In Hebrew, it means delight. Her name means pleasure and delight, and God's desire was that Adam and Eve could find pleasure walking with God in the garden. And he walks with me, and he talks with me. You know that song. And he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there. God desires us to walk in the garden with him every day and to take pleasure and delight in his words to us. Jeremiah 15, verse 16, your words were found and I ate them and your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. God wants us to have that experience, friends. And the question that I have for us is do we cherish God's word? There have been times in my life where I have not cherished the word of God. There have been times in my life where I would rather get on my phone than read God's word. When you have downtime, would you rather get on your phone or watch TV or read scripture? It's an honest question. Can we ask ourselves that question? It's okay. And there's times in my life where that has, has, has not been the case. And I believe that all of us need to weekly and daily review, Lord, do I cherish your word? And God's desire is for us to do just that. 
We're told in Signs of the Times, June 25, 1902, that the mere reading of the word will not accomplish the result designed of heaven. We can simply read the words on the page and go through the motions, but the word of God must be studied, and what's that word? Cherished in the heart. The knowledge of God is not gained without mental effort. We should diligently study the Bible. We should take one verse and concentrate the mind on the task of ascertaining the thought which God has put on that verse for us. We should dwell on that thought till it becomes our own. I want to invite you, friends, to not just simply read the word, but to study the word and to cherish God's word in your hearts. The second lesson I believe we can learn from the life of, of Mary is Mary believed what God told her. She didn't just cherish what God told her, but she believed what God told her. We read this verse already, but there in verse 45, Elizabeth says, blessed is she who believed. Mary believed that God was actually gonna do what, what he said. That he was actually gonna do what he said. Romans chapter four, verse three says, what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. John three sixteen: whoever believes in him should not perish. Romans ten eleven: for the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. And the question that I have for us is, do you believe what God says? God says he has loved you with an everlasting love. Do you believe that? You might be going through a trial. You might be going through discouragement and depression, but God tells you today that he's loved you with an everlasting love. Do you believe that? God says that he's coming soon and that he's preparing a place for you. Do you believe that, friends? Do you believe that God's actually going to accomplish what he says in his word, that he's gonna come soon? God says that Jesus is our high priest and that we can approach in the name of Jesus the throne of grace with confidence. Do you believe that, friends? God says that he will wake you up morning by morning to instruct as one whose ear who is taught. Do you believe that, friends? God says that the seventh day is the Sabbath. The seventh day, not the first day, but Saturday the Sabbath is the seventh day, friends. Do you believe that? God says that when we die, we don't go straight to heaven. The Bible makes it clear that we sleep in the grave until Jesus comes back. Do you believe that, friends? Even though believing in the Sabbath may not be popular. Maybe you're new here to this church and you're learning about what the seventh-day Sabbath is all about. But Mary, even though she knew she might experience stigma from her family, she didn't just cherish God's word. She didn't just believe God's word. She obeyed God's word, friends. And perhaps there's someone here that needs to not just believe the truth of the Sabbath but follow through despite what other people might think. I believe, friends, that obedience is the key to happiness. 1 Samuel 15, 22, so Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? For behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed better than the fat of rams. Friends, God doesn't just want the form, but he wants the heart as well. We won't go here, but you can look elsewhere in Scripture where God says that uh, if you really want to follow Jesus and his words, then do what he says. And if you do what Jesus says, your house is like being built on a rock, not on a sandy foundation. God wants us, friends, to obey him. Three things we can learn from the life of Mary. She cherished what God told her. She believed what God told her. She obeyed what God told her. I believe, friends, that Mary's experience can be ours. And think about this, friends. 
Think about this, that Mary had the Son of God in her, in her, didn't she? Mary had the Son of God in her. And I believe, friends, I believe that God wants the Son of God to be inside of us as well. I believe that. In fact, and we're going to quickly uh, uh, look at these, but over and over in the gospel, look at this, friends. Paul says in Galatians 4.19, my little children for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is what? Formed in you. God's desire is that Jesus, just like he was formed in Mary, will be formed in your life. Galatians 1.15, but it pleased God when, who called me through his grace to reveal his son in me. Paul's desire, just like Mary, was to have his son, God's son, inside of him. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Friends, the infinite God of the universe wants to send his son, Jesus, to dwell and live inside of your hearts. He does, friends. That's why Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Who's the treasure? Jesus is. Paul tells us in Colossians 1, that the mystery of the gospels, the riches that people have been studying for you, what is it? Is it treasure? Is it money? No, it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. John 15, God invites us to abide in him and us in him. It's not just him and us, but it's us in him as well. Christ desires to dwell in your hearts, friends. I know this poem uh, is hard to read, but I read this this week, and this poem just really reached my heart. Can, can we read this? Is that okay? Notice here what the Bible, or not the Bible, but the, this poem, I don't know who the author is, but, but notice what this poem says. The Lord is in his holy house, O grace beyond describing, that Christ in me should please to dwell, Emmanuel residing. My soul doth magnify the Lord, I sing with lowly Mary, that God should choose to enter in to this humble sanctuary. Not now in little Bethlehem as in the tender story, not now upon a mercy seat that bright Shekinah glory, but in the body of his saints he maketh his residing, both he and me and I and him fellowship abiding. Isn't that beautiful, friends? It continues. Within my heart a burning bush, within a mountain smoking. This flesh of mine a temple veil, the wondrous presence cloaking. Within this broken earthenware, a high and holy treasure. O mystery of mysteries, O grace beyond all measure. The Lord is in his holy house, mysterious habitation. I feel his presence here within and offer my oblation. Keep burning incense of my soul. Keep cleansing me, O labor. I want to praise and serve my God forever and forever. Friends, God wants to live inside each one of us. God wants to live inside each one of you. His desire is that your heart would be his Bethlehem. His desire is that your heart and mind would be his Bethlehem. And notice, friends, notice here what we're told. This letter was written 1880. It was just six days before Christmas, December 19. Two children, Willie and Mary White, were working in California for the church, working diligently for God. Ellen and James were back home. And a letter is written to her two kids. 
And notice these words. December 19, 1880. Christmas is almost here. Christmas is almost here, just a few days away. My Christmas will be spent in seeking Jesus to be a welcome guest in my heart. And his presence will drive all the shadows away. His presence will overshadow the darkness in your life. His presence will overshadow the discouragement in your life. And friends, I want to invite you this Christmas to make Jesus a welcome guest in your heart. I want to invite you this Christmas. Maybe some of you are lonely. Maybe you're going to be by yourself. But I want you to know that you're not by yourself. Jesus is with you. That Jesus will reside with you and he will be with you and you can spend Christmas inviting Jesus into your heart. Yes, we maybe have some of, of the gifts under the tree, but the best gift, friends, is someone who died on a tree named Jesus Christ. And his desire is to be born in each one of you. And may Mary's experience be ours. May Christ be born in us. Father in heaven, it is the desire of our heart that your son Jesus be born in our hearts. Father, we are, are weak, but what we can do is offer you space in our hearts. Father, we desire to make room for you and forgive us, Father, if we've crowded you out. Lord, perhaps there's someone here that, that used to walk closely with you, Lord, but they've taken some steps uh, away and right now you're calling them to surrender their hearts to you. You're calling them to invite you to be formed inside of them. Father, our desire is to answer the knock of Revelation 3.20. You stand at each door of our hearts and you knock and we wanna let you in. So Father, we commit to making this Christmas about you. Thank you for being the best gift that we've ever been given. We love you. We thank you for loving us first. And we pray all these things in the precious name and blood of Jesus. And all of God's people said, amen. amen.